how do you define success in 2024? How does this translate to my scorecard? So it's a fine line of like caring too much and then also like really wanting it. So just like there's so many reasons why a person could love to, to play the game of golf. It could be athletic, it could be social, it could be mental, it could be anything. Back aboard the Par Train for another monthly recap. I'm Brett, the editor of the Par Train, each and every week. If your golf game's off the rails and you're sick of riding the struggle bus, you've come to the right place. The Par Train helps frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again because if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. January, jam-packed. Of course, last month's LFG episode, last month's recap, but some others that were fantastic, putting connections between golf and other things like, say, watches. Hodinkee's Ben Clymer joined us early in January. Also, Evan and Serm jumping aboard solo to talk about their goals for 2024. PGA Tour pro Kelly Kraft, PGA Tour winner Grayson Murray. Awesome way to start 2024. And before we get to all that, we have to thank our sponsor, Roback Activewear. Something I'm debating on is one of their new polos. It's called the Tiger. Naturally, it's going to be red. And I mean red, Sunday red, of course. And if you look real close at the design, you'll see little tigers in there. Love that. But as we come down off of winter, where I am in Ohio, still kind of chilly, so my eye is on the crew neck sweatshirts. Hoodies and Q-zips, good for whatever kind of temperature you're dealing with because they are, you know, this amazing material. Perfect for chilly days and not too hot days. Roback.com, enter the code TRAIN and you'll get 15% off your entire order. Oh, and while you're there, check out the last call tab and get a hold of some of those items before they're gone for good. And those puppies are on sale too, just telling you. So January recap, we are going back through several episodes. And first up is from episode 290 with Hodinkee's Ben Clymer, the crazy connection between watches and golf. Pretty neat little game that uh, Evan and Ben Clymer himself play during this. They say, you know, hey, when you think of a brand of watch, what do you relate that to in the golf world? I remember from this episode, Evan had asked Ben about, you know, his loves, which are, of course, golf, watches, and cars. And he said, if you had to give up one, if you absolutely had to give up one, what would it be? So a cool section there. Go back and check out episode 290. But we're going to lift a piece out of this episode and put it right here in the recap from episode 290. Hodinkee's Ben Clymer aboard the train. Why is it that I've turned into an obsessive enthusiast, future collector. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think that the psychology of both a golfer and a watch collector are not dissimilar. And this is something I've thought a lot about and read a lot about and written a lot about, frankly. Yep. You know, the, the idea of, oh, I mean, look, we can get, there are many different approaches here. I mean, I, I think fundamentally, you know, and you can tell me if you want to go down this avenue or not. Like fundamentally, it's it's very challenging for 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 men to make friends. Ultimately, and I think what what the watch community does really well, and I think Hodinkee is a big part of that, and I think what the golf community does really well is provide avenues for men to, to have social elements. And I think you know, many years ago, I'll, I'll stick with watches. Many years ago, the watch community was really disparate. It was you've got these these forums. One of them was called uh, the Purists, which is really based out of Singapore. You have one called Time Zone, which is based out of here in New York. But you get these little cabals of people that are like gangs. It's like okay, it's the Purists versus Time Zone. These guys really like. There were arguments and there were like rivalries between these two things. There was nothing mm -hmm. in the middle and there was nothing that was broadcast out. They were they were basically gated communities that were kept inwards. And if you or if I wanted to join as a young younger guy, they would say, Oh, well, if you you're only buying a Rolex or a Tudor, you're not buying a Patek or an AP, then like you're not really close, whatever. 
And then sites like ours, and there were a few others as well, went, came along and said, hey, like, we're going to change things. They're like, let's broadcast this for everybody and really make it in- inclusive, you know? And look, I mean, watches, nor neither watches nor golf are the most inclusive things on earth, as, as I'd be the first to admit. Right. But inclusive in the sense that we allow anybody to enter it however they like. And if you want to only buy Tudor Blackface for the rest of your life, like, that's cool. I know people that do that. I have a few myself. Or if you want to go heavy and get Jaegers and Pateks and Langes and, you know, whatever. That's okay too. But I think what, what, you know, if you're a golfer, which you obviously are, like you have this tendency to want to understand things a little bit more. And I'm happy to say that Hodinkee and others have provided a platform or several platforms on which you can really go and learn and understand more about things. And just like there's so many reasons why a person could love to, to play the game of golf, it could be athletic, it could be social, it could be mental, it could be anything. Yep. The same is true for watches. And I think like going back to, you know, I don't want to say the pushback, but some of the consideration I, I kind of had about the, you know, the, uh, the how to lose a guy, you know, question is like, you know, there are guys that buy watches solely to say, hey, dude, like, check out this $50,000 watch I got. And then there are guys that like don't care at all what it costs and they only care about the design. And then there are other people that only care about the movements. And then there are other people that frankly don't even care about the watch. They just want to be friends with the guys that like watches, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it is incredibly easy to to fall down the same rabbit hole that you might with golf with watches because hey you don't have to leave your bedroom right like you can like you know golf youtube is like there's some great folks out there there's some i'm just like there's some great golf podcasts out there but others not so great same is true for watches but with watches like you actually like to to participate in the world of watches you don't need to go under the course or to a driving range or to a simulator you can really do it from your living room or a shopping mall century city or or anything you want Right. So there is just such a myriad of overlap between the, the things that drive men that are into watches as there is with golf. But ultimately, I think it is, you know, the pursuit of community and pursuit of understanding things that is, is slightly off the beaten path. And I think both golf and watches are, you know, at surface level could be perceived as exclusive, as maybe even obnoxious. Uh, but I think there are ways to appreciate both of those things. And I think that that I, I do, at least I hope I do. That is really authentic. And I mean that in like a psych, you know, like psychiatric term. It's like a way that like you really do appreciate something for what it is and the benefits that it, that it extols, less so the the kind of like social connotations that, that one might perceive it to be. Yeah, it's funny because I've always said context is king. Everyone says content is king, but context is almost just as important. And when I started learning about my tutor yeah. and how it's inspired by heritage elements of, of Rolex, I was like, oh my God, that's why I like vintage watches because it's a modern take on a heritage design and it made me appreciate what I got. I didn't even know what I got at the time. Oh, it's a great watch. And I didn't know the rise of Tudor. I didn't know that it had been basically nowhere to be found, you know, 15, 20 years ago. And that made me appreciate it. So I guess what you're saying is my Tudor is like my first pure five iron when I'm starting out in golf. It gave me the bug. Per se. Yep. Yeah. Or, or I would say maybe, I mean, taking it a step further and kind of bring it back to, to my own experience, like your, your tutor is probably like the first time you got fitted for clubs. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, like buying something point. off the rack is, is one thing. It's like, okay, like I, you know, I can hit a good shot every now and then, but then when you get fitted, you, at least my experience was like, when I got fitted, everything changed for me. And yeah. I was like a decent, you know, again, I played in high school, so I kind of knew what I was doing, but I wasn't good. And then when I got my, my first set of fitted irons, and this happened only five years ago, it changed everything. And I was like, holy shit, like, you know, I can play this game so much better and in a way that is designed for me that I just find it so much more enjoyable. Mm, That's a good one. I like that. All right. So speaking of golf versus watches, I created a little bit of a game 
for you. Okay. And you can do this as you can do five, you can do six, you can do three, you can do 10. Okay. If you Sounds want. Good. Um, okay. I'm going to share my screen. I've never done this on a podcast before. We've done almost 300 episodes. Yeah. But I'm so fascinated by the connection of golf versus watches. I thought this would be sure. Fun. Okay. Okay. Can you see this? Mm. Yes, I can. Okay. I'm calling this the little match play golf watch match play. Okay. <laughs> I know you know brands as well as anyone on both sides. Yeah. I do. So you can choose, and it doesn't need to be one to one. You can create clusters. You tell yeah. me which golf brands, and by the way, for the passengers that are listening, this will be on YouTube if you want to see the visual. Um, yeah. But which golf brands do you think line up really well with which watch brands and why? Yeah, I'm really, I, I, just for the listeners at home, this was not planted in any way. I didn't know this was happening, but I'm really happy you, you brought this up because I've actually thought about at least a few of these like many times and how like the one-to-one is so direct, it's kind of remarkable. So the, okay. the standout to me is Titleist and Rolex. Okay. Like those those two brands just, be, sure, those two brands just belong together. You know, they are, in many ways, kind of like dominant forces. They are market leaders. They are for, for you know, air quotes, purists, but also people that like think they're purists, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So you get, you know, you get Titleist players that are, you know, like you know, my friend Adam Scott used to play Titleist as, as, a, as a tour player for years and years and years. And like even his Muras that, that he just came out with recently are almost designed after these Titleist plays that he played. Yep. Um, Rolex would be the same. But also, you know, Titleist also is like people know that name first. With Rolex, you obviously like know that name first. I would say Callaway and Omega go together um which you know again i i i play i have played callaway apexes for a long time i actually just got fitted for some titles recently look i love omega i love them i mean it's arguably the reason why i got into watches to begin with i have a ton of them my grandfather's watch included but you know th there's no question that like at least from a brand perspective it, it plays a second fiddle to, to rolex and I, I think in many ways even though at times, you know, the Callaway product is as good or better than, than Titleist. It, it too plays kind of a second fiddle in terms of that, that purity and the connotation within the community. Let's keep going here. Okay, so th there's one that I, that I would argue is not on the list, but should be. So Mira, which I adore and actually have, I've got the, this is also not a plant. I really do keep this by my desk. I've got a Mira. I saw that right you posted. Here. I have Mira here, here, by the way. Do you really? Yeah. Okay, so you got Mira. Oh what yeah, I, I knew I knew Mira. you would want to throw Mira in, so I threw it in. Oh, I love I love Mira. So yeah. I've been playing Mira wedges forever. I would argue that they are in fact a brand called a Langenson Langa, uh, okay. which is a German brand, which is not on the list here. But they are so much better than they need to be in every way, from a design perspective, from a manufacturing perspective, etc. They're just so special, and I think they, you know, they're both kind of small batch, really expensive, kind of doing things the, you know, air quotes, right way, mm -hmm. forever. So I, I think Mira and Langa would go together. Okay, uh, I can add that for in. me. Sure, I would also say, and I that, threw in Scotty Cameron. I mean, I don't yeah. have other putter brands, but it's a big brand. I threw it in. It's a big brand. Yeah, look, I think, I think Scotty probably belongs with. It's either Patek or AP. I think. It's probably Patek. It's probably Patek. And I've used Scotty Cameron putters for years. I actually have, a, I have one of those right here next to my desk as well. They are synonymous with quality. You know, they're synonymous with with prestige, et cetera. You know, it's it's a different thing because Scotty only makes putters, obviously. So I think that makes sense. You know, moving on down the line, look, I think Kirkland, I've never hit them. I've never played a Kirkland ball, but I've heard they're amazing. I would probably put that with Seiko. 
um, okay. which is like a great place to start. Like my dad is a terrible golfer. He, he plays golf all the time, but he's truly like truly <laughs> bad at golf. Yeah. And he, and I love you dad. Um, and he plays Kirkland balls and like he, you know, the watch that I inherited from him, he's still, still around, but uh, it's a Seiko watch. And so I think it, it kind of makes sense. Like it was like shockingly high quality for, for the price. Look, I think, I think PXG is probably AP automotive mm-hmm. Um And I'd be curious what, what Francois, who's the outgoing CEO of AP would think about that because yeah. uh, he's a golfer as well. But I think that makes sense to me. The other brands on here, I'll be honest, I don't know enough about on the golfing side to really say where where they belong. Maybe I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to slight anybody here by saying that like Mizuno is a is a tutor when Titleist is Rolex or something like that. Yeah. But I feel really really good about the six on um, the six connections on on the right hand side there. Okay. Hodinkee's Ben Climber on the train, episode two ninety from January seventh. It is linked in the description below, so go and check that out. Episode 291 was the recap from last month, so we're moving on to episode 292 from January 14th when Evan and Serm hopped aboard the train to talk about their 2024 golfing goals and how to avoid making common mistakes in the process. Now, if this is your first time listening to The Par Train, check this one out. It's going to show you how committed both of these guys are to either figuring something out to make their golf game better and pretty much not giving up until they figure it out or the commitment to practice to better themselves further down the line and possibly get into some like actual competitive events. Episode 292, how to set your 2024 golfing goals with Evan Singer and Matt Cermak. You've got a process goal. You've got maybe a, not an achievement goal, but a, a milestone goal, doing something that you haven't done before. And then you've yeah. got like the the result goal, right? So for you, your process goal is to create some form of regular practice, yeah. right? Because what I want to hit on is practice more is the obvious, that's the vague goal that everybody sets in the quote resolutions that yeah. people, they say, I want to exercise more. But then it's like, well, what does that mean? I can't achieve something that's that vague. So maybe your process goal is practice twice a week. Yeah. yeah. And then you set on your calendar times that you know, Tuesday, Thursday at 530, you're going to the dome. And you're going to go spend half on your swing and half on chipping. And that's your process goal. Your milestone goal will be playing a U.S. Mid-Am qualifier. Yep. Your result goal is qualify for the U.S. Mid-Am. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're something great. Okay. Well, and this this helps bring motivation for us. We, for the listeners who are trying to understand, well, what can I do? Like, what? Yeah, I want to practice more, but what's really going to get me to spend you know an hour in the, in the chipping and bunker, right? To hit right. fairway bunker shots, to go to the range because I just want to play. This right. is the stuff that hurt. This is the stuff that hurts. Yeah. This is the stuff <laughs> you build, you know, you get, you got to get up a little earlier in the morning and go do this. Cause we're all busy with our lives and our jobs and our spouses and all these things. But if it's that important to you, as you know, Ev, you can find the time, Yeah, but you've got to lay it out. You've got to structure it Yeah, because practicing more is great, but why are you practicing? Right. I want to shoot better. Why do you want to shoot better? Right. <laughs> you know, so I think unpacking this is great. I think, you know, on the flip side here for, uh, for you, I think this is a little trickier and this is why we're talking about it. 
the big question, the famous question, especially for what you've described with your proclamation, Ev, how, how do you define success in 2024 for your proclamation? Mm. I, think, I think, you know, I think mine's a little more, a little more black and white. Yeah. With some I think of these kind a, of yeah. checkpoints. It's You're, a good question. Yeah, I, I want to hear this from you. I think there's a few ways. Number one, I think success would be a little less anxiety going to the course, upping my enjoyment level. I want 2024 to be the most enjoyable year of golf that I've ever had. And obviously I had an amazing year in 2023. A lot of people don't realize like how much I was struggling, even though I was playing some of the best courses in the world in Scotland in crazy right. conditions, you know, like that'll go down as one of the best experiences I could have ever gone through because I know what it's like to feel super anxious, no idea what I'm doing and in a place that you need to soak in. Like you don't want to waste that experience. And I've had a lot of those experiences in 2023. So that goes into my third example of four. I think I have four. My third example would be going into either a media day or a pro-am or even just any round on camera and string together some good holes. You know, I, I experienced some pretty, you want to talk about your self-image getting punctured? When you're on camera and you're you can't string a hole together, like that can be really embarrassing and that can be tough to come back from. So to do that many, many times, I'm excited for the opportunity to get back on camera and have a process and a foundation to go back to that no matter what I'm feeling, Chris Kirk said it last week after the century, right? Like he walked into every shot and told himself. I don't care what I'm feeling. Uh, nothing's going to get in my way to hitting a good shot here. Right. And it's that type yeah. of conviction that you have to have an understanding on what I do when I get tight, those process driven things to help me hit a good shot under pressure. I want to start hitting good shots under pressure again. Um, and for the biggest one is my handicap. I have a well, handicap why is that proclamation. The, why is that the biggest one? Not the biggest one. It's just, it's almost like um, when you hear PJ Tour pros say, my goal isn't a world ranking, but the world ranking is a reflection of like a really consistent overall great performing year. I think our handicap is kind of like our ranking in the sense that it would be indicative of better golf overall over many rounds. So for me, I want to get back to a four. I've been as low as a five and to think about the level of access. What are you now? I think I've gone up to an 8.5 or even a nine. I'd have to check. So. But why, so why not just, if we're, if we're an 8.5, okay, let's call us a nine because we're eight, five. Yeah. Why, why isn't the goal? Let's get to a seven, five. Because you, I, I want a stretch goal. Because yeah. I've never actually had the tools or not. I've had the tools, but I've never actually made the commitment to really invest in my game. Like we we talked about last podcast, like I've worked hard at it. Like right. I'll go to the range four or five times a week, yeah. but I'm not doing anything though. So right. I want to see how good I can get 
by learning my foundation, getting my fundamentals right, having a professional there to help me and document it on this show and our YouTube and truly see, okay, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing the right things. How does this translate to my scorecard? Well, and truly see how low I can get because I've got the skills. I've just yeah. gotten in my own way of doing the wrong things. Well, is it safe to say, Ev, that in 2024, you are going to practice with purpose? Yeah. Maybe for the first time in an extended period that you haven't. Maybe the first time like, ever other than short game stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you're going to practice with purpose. And, you know, you do that, you, your goal is to have less anxiety out there. Well, how do we have less anxiety when you make committed, confident swings? That anxiety is not going to go away until you see the, you see the committed, confident oh, swings. No, for sure. I mean, that's going to come up. But I think what I've learned is it's about baby steps and mini wins, right? Yeah. Like when you, when you have more conviction and knowledge of what you're trying to do and why, then what you'll see in this video coming out on YouTube with Josh, my coach, is the thing that I love the most is it's not about the ball going right. It's about me holding on, right? So yeah. the greatest win I could have, other than a great shot, obviously, but in this time, the greatest win I can have is seeing the ball go right, having the awareness to say, hmm, yeah, I definitely held on to that one. And being able to match a ball flight with a feeling of what I did in my body to know I don't have to try and hit it left now. What I have to do is my routine and what in my routine helps me release it and know that I released it. And then that's I just right. have to step in and do that. So that's well, the type of process he's helping me relearn versus what a lot of people do is, oh my God, that went right. I'm an idiot. I suck. How could I do that? I have no idea why it went right. I have no idea what I'm doing in my swing to cause it going right. And now I'm trying to hit it more left. And now right. I'm compensating and creating yeah. a hook. And it's like, what do I do with that? There's nothing you can do with that. Yeah. I think, I think this is great. Evan. And so right. Understanding why things are happening yeah. But then how to react appropriately and really to react appropriately after a bad shot is just like we've talked about, just get back to my routine. Because right. you hit that shot high right, you're getting to that next shot. Well, man, I've got a problem with right. I've going to have to compensate. And you're not even checking the wind or where the hill is on the green or right. where you got to miss it. <laughs> and it, Yeah. You know what's crazy, sir? So it's going to have a, this, this, this is going to have a great domino effect for you. For sure. And you know what's crazy? What I just about said this? was happening last year. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about get back to your process, but you gotta I didn't know have what your one. process is, though. Right? I didn't have I one. You you and Brett McCabe talked about this. Yes. Right? What did he say? You know, I don't want to say it's his biggest peeve, you know? biggest pet yeah. peeve to say trust the process because most people don't know what their process is or why they have one. And you're like, what I, like I don't even know what my process is. Yeah, like I don't have one. So, right. or I change it or I, yes. I throw it away when something bad happens. I try and reinvent, I try and change it. Right. So I will tell you this, sir, 
it has been, I haven't told you this, it's been so mind-blowing how difficult it is after doing this one way for 18 years to go to the driving range and use my shots as an exercise to self-diagnose and did I do what I'm trying to do or did I not? Do you know how easy it is to just fish another ball back and feel so shitty that you hit a bad one and you're looking around and your ego wants to stripe one at the range, even though it doesn't fucking matter. Everyone's hitting it sideways that nobody notices anyways. They're worried about yeah. their own shit. Everybody's in their own world and their own and stall. It's like, <laughs> so it was so difficult for just one bucket of balls to not worry about where that ball goes and every shot go back to my process, go back to what I'm working on and say, yeah. did I do what I'm trying to do or did I not? Yeah. No, that is really, really difficult. Episode 292 with Evan and Serm. That dropped on January 14th. Resources in the description below, folks. Go and check those out, and uh, you'll be able to click on those links and go back and listen to those episodes in full if you missed them. Let's talk about thepartrain.com. Type that in and just start browsing around, folks. This is a great website that allows you to enter an email, and you will be immediately a part of the train of thought. You'll get a weekly mental game nugget and insight, and the coolest part, early access to merch drops. Click on that shop tab up at the top of thepartrain.com and you'll be able to see all the goodies that the Partrain has to offer. Lots of hats to choose from and lots of different colors. The Enjoy the Ride hat and the Partrain logo hat are available. So get over to thepartrain.com, enter that email address, and hop aboard for the Train of Thought newsletter. And keep your eye out for new merch drops that are just around the corner. Evan's been teasing these in the episodes for several, several weeks now. And some great stuff is coming your way. Moving on now to an episode that dropped on January 21st. So we actually went back-to-back -back PGA Tour Pros, which was fantastic. Like I said in the beginning, uh, the perfect way to kick off a new year. Kelly Craft wants to help everybody go back to the basics. A great episode to save and listen to whenever you need a little bit of a bump before you go out on the course. He was unpacking his highs and his lows, the importance of fundamentals, etc. So we'll move straight in. Episode 293 with PGA Tour Pro Kelly Kraft. I realize, like, I change shit every week. Oh. Every week, I have a new takeaway feel, and I just realize, like, you know, enough's enough. I got a coach. I'm not going to change anything unless we decide it. And he's literally talking to me about the stuff you're describing, which is we've got our process. And you hit a shot, you ask yourself, did I do the thing I'm working on? If the answer is no, go back and do your thing. But you can start to match ball flight, like you said, low left. You match that yeah. to not doing your thing. And then you just know to go back and do your thing. What we talked about yesterday was it's, it seems to be such an energy saver. Like I'm not draining my energy trying to search or create or change stuff. You know what you do. You know why you do it. And you just have to get back to that thing. Is that fair? Yeah. Is it an energy saver yeah. for you? Oh, 100%. Because then you feel like, I feel I feel like now uh, when I go to a tournament, like I already know what I'm doing. Right. So I find myself spending way less time on the range and more time on the course yeah. or the putting grain or the chipping grain. Because if you don't do those things, well, you're not going to probably have a great week either. So, you know, I'm spending a lot more time putting just because I go to the range and I hit a bag of balls and everything feels great, you know, then I'm, I feel ready and I feel good to go. So yeah, it's like way less stress, mm -hmm. um, but like going to a tournament 
like the last coach I worked with, I just felt like our ideas would just, they would change so much like week to week. And then he wouldn't come to a tournament and then I'd be at a tournament and I'd do something totally different because it felt right at the time and I would hit it good on the range. Then I'd have a decent result by just going with that like one thought for the week. Then I'd see him the next week and he'd be like, I don't like where that's putting you. It's going to be bad in the long run. So then we just go down another rabbit hole of like something else that he thinks that we should do. And it just, it just felt like we were constantly, there was definitely like an overall place where we wanted to get to, but there were just too many different aspects that were changing to get us there all the time. Mm. And now I just feel like it's, you know, one or two things. And that's where we're trying to go. And everything else is just very performance-based, like doing my wedge numbers. I know that in order, you know, I don't hit the ball. I carry the ball 280. And and if it's firm, then I hit it further than, you know, 300 or whatever. But, like, I'm not a long player. And so I know I have to be a great putter. And I have to be great from 50 to 130 yards. Um, That's where I'm going to make up my ground. And so I... Mm. I, I have to work on that stuff every day and well, I'll do like little yeah. wedge tests and stuff like that, that my coach has kind of created just like random wedge numbers. And, you know, I, you can do all this stuff on TrackMan now and it gives you a rating and we just try to get over a certain grade, you know, and do that a couple times a day. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're on the course and you've got 70 yards and you're like, I know exactly how far to take this one back. It's great or laying up on a par five and you want to be like my favorite numbers with the wedge is 85 yards. It's just, it's kind of a sweet spot for me. And I feel like I'm going to hit it to like, give me every time I hit it. And so what a great feeling that must be. Yeah. I don't always, (laughs) I don't always hit it to give me, but I hit it close a lot, a lot closer than I probably would chip it if I tried to hit three, but up there from 280. So, yeah. um, You know, it's just kind of managing that stuff. But when you don't have to think about your, your swing being, mentally feeling like so off every week and you're just like all right i just gotta go do my stuff you know yeah or even even after your round you just go even if you hit it well it's like my caddy's like all right let's just go hit you know half a bag of balls and just do our drill same drill we've been doing for the last six months and just make sure it's locked in there for tomorrow and you know, uh, uh, this yeah. is so this is so good because the way i'm thinking about it i guess on your behalf is from a full swing perspective yeah. If I can get my body right before the round. Yeah. If I can get my body loose, if I can do my pre-shot routine, focus, commit, and and get deeper, that's it. That's it. You're I, good. I, You're gonna play well. I'm gonna be good. Yeah. Now obviously we're gonna hit bad shots, but that's the thing, like that's what I can control and we'll see what happens. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. You're just trying to hit more good shots than you normally do on any given day. And it's gonna play mm. better. You're still going to hit bad shots. You're still not going to do one great, you know. But it's like I struggle with uncertain wins and yeah, certain shadows even that it just like bother me, and I just feel like I don't swing as well whenever they're there. But yeah, if you just have like a general knowledge of like you know what you have to do, then you just try to do that the best you can. I mean, that's all. That's all you can do. You know what's funny about this term is we haven't explicitly talked about it like this on the show before but we usually talk like mental game swing physical but all of this kind of flows into your state and your mental game like the way that you practice how you think about your swing like is it creating more stress 
or is it creating less? Like this all kind of goes together. So I want to ask you, Kelly, like what is your relationship or definition of your mental game? Like, is that something you focus on? Is that important to you? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I think at times it's more important than others. I worked with a couple mental game coaches, just not really that consistently, just because sometimes I felt like I was really playing well, but I was also working with these sports psychologists and I felt like we were almost looking for problems whenever there maybe wasn't something there. Mm. Because when you are playing well, it's much easier to be better mentally. It's just like when you're hitting it where you're looking, you're happy. You're not like yelling at your caddy for getting the win wrong or, you know, whatever it may be. But everything just is kind of going together. And whenever I was working with a couple of these sports psychologists, I felt like my game was in decent shape. And I really just felt like I needed to stop thinking about thinking and just sort of let just go play golf. But then there's other times when I was was struggling or or maybe had a warped sense of reality with hitting the ball too many times at, at the pen, you know, or stuff like that, where you have to check yourself mentally and make yourself play the pole like it needs to be played, whether that's hitting a three-wood or a hybrid off the tee and hitting a wedge to 20 feet like because you can't be short, long, or left, you know, to the pen. And you just have to, like, really make yourself do that and it's easier definitely said than done and then the other part of it is your expectations like when you're when i'm playing really well but i get off to a bad start or something like that having the right mindset to like flip and start to hit good shots again and not let what just happened you know be like oh my god i'm so unlucky you know like because we all feel like that a lot and you really just it's it's hard not to be like that but at the same time it's never going to lead to good things so that's kind of where your my caddy and stuff comes in he's like all right let's just start over and you know yeah we're four over after three holes but like let's shoot even today and then let's forget about these three holes so then you play the rest of the way in and you shoot four under and you're like oh i played great even though you shot even you know you really felt like you turned it around and it's harder it's hard to do but uh, and I can't always do it that well, but I think I'm, I've become better at that as a, as a pro. You have to have a short memory out here. I yeah. mean, it's when you start thinking about stuff you were doing two, three weeks ago, like the bad stuff, it's, it's never good. You'd always try to think about, or at least me, I always try to think about like great shots I hit or like yesterday on this hole, I hit an eight iron from, you know, 165, like a perfect, like hold cut to the right pin and it was you know just was everything was perfect about it and my caddy will remember that stuff too and he'll be like you need to hit the same shot you hit on you know that that eighth hole yesterday like it's the same shot right here he's like do you Mm -hmm. remember that shot like oh yeah i remember that shot so we'll take stuff like that and like go add that into like the good stuff into other shots whether that's at the same tournament or at a different tournament you know you got to remember the good and go with that and not not focus too much on like the bad shot you hit from the divot and made double you know on the one hole just you start going down that unlucky route it's just not it's not good pga tour pro kelly craft from episode 293 that dropped on january 21st and he's a visor guy we showcase a little bit of that visor conversation on our social media platforms and you can check those out 
on uh, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube as well. If you haven't been over to the Partrain YouTube channel, check that out. But the whole visor thing, do you have a favorite visor thing that you remember? Just a few days ago, I was scrolling through YouTube shorts. You get lost in it, but it was the 99 Players Championship. Fred Couples with the visor. Number 17, TPC Sawgrass. I'll assume you've seen the video, but he puts one in the water, one in, two out, sets up three, back on the tee. Same club and everything. It doesn't touch anything but the bottom of the hole. Best par save in the world. And he finished up uh, tied for fourth 25 years ago, believe it or not. So we'll move on now to the final episode of January, episode number 294 with PGA Tour winner Grayson Murray. How to succeed on purpose is the theme of the episode. This was just a few weeks after his 2024 Sony Open win. And having guys like this on the show is my favorite because he's a real dude, right? I mean, I'm not throwing shade at our other guys. I'm not throwing shade at Kelly Craft or Ben Clymer or any of the other PGA Tour pros or coaches that we've had on the show. He's got his own way of doing things, and it's clearly working out for him. So let's get into it. How to succeed on purpose, episode 294, PGA Tour winner, Grayson Murray. The moment I'm in comparison, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. I don't know what's good for me yet. I just need to keep doing what I'm doing and following my gut and trust that it's going to guide me in the right place. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. I think like we're all like always wanting control of things like as human beings, we want to know what's going to happen next. And uncertainty, you know, is tough at the time, but there's a reason it's uncertain. You know, it's not our decision. Like if you want to look at, you know, depending on if you're a believer or not, or if you have a higher power or not, but there's, there's someone out there that is, leading you towards something better and you know we we as human beings want to know what's better you know right away and sometimes it's it's just having to do the the little steps each day to get to where we you know are meant to be led and that's i think that's like everyone's life story right like you're yeah. you're doing you're doing this interview because you're led to this interview and i'm and i'm sitting here because i was led to be in this situation and i i can't like i think like if I, if I go back like on this topic, if I go back to one time where I was never in control, um, it would have been like this men's hike I went on with this, with this group at church. And it was like a three day hike. That's all they told us. We didn't, we didn't know where we were going to go. Like we were just kind of put in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it was like a three hour drive. So we kind of knew where we we're going, but they didn't tell us like when we were going to stop and eat. We didn't tell us when we were going to stop and sleep. They didn't tell us anything. And we were just like, always like, you know, and then finally go to the point where they're like, all right, it's out of our hands. Like it's not even worth like figuring out what's next. And once you got, once I got to the point where, okay, I'm safe. I know I'm going to sleep tonight. I know we're going to eat tonight. The the comfort level, you know, the something like you're just stuff was lifted off your shoulders at that point. And that's like, I feel like, you know, exactly what we were talking about. And that was like a ah moment for me in my life. Yeah. I love that. I mean, it sounds meta again, but sorry, it's an occupational hazard with me. Anytime I feel anxious, I tell myself I'm safe, I'm loved. And like, mm-hmm. it sounds stupid, but like it actually does settle me down, you know, because that's usually the two things we're fearing in those moments. But let's talk about the Sony for a second. So talk to me about, I want to talk about down the stretch, obviously, but talk to me about the week going in. Did it feel any different going in 
Was there um, a different level of, of peace? I know you said you've been feeling at peace. Was there a level of acceptance and calm? Like, did the week feel any different going in? Uh, so we came out here early. We came out to Palm, when I say we, my fiance and I came out to Palm Springs or like right after Christmas. And we spent a little time, you know, with her family and uh, practicing before I went out to Hawaii. And we got out to Hawaii on a Saturday just to kind of acclimate another time zone and yeah it was our first time that like she was there with me like the whole week she had been to oh, cool. in the past but not the whole week so we i think our like plan was just to like go in it like obviously like i'm working but like let's you know let's do some fun things together let's see hawaii so we rode up to the north shore one day and you know spent time up there and got to see like some some pretty big waves it was kind of a calm day that day but you know, got, got me away from like actually ended up hitting balls up there on a course that day, but it pretty much got me away from the everyday, like tour stuff that you have to do. And mm -hmm. that was a nice, I think we look back at that and we're like, we're so thankful that we did that. And then, yeah, I mean, as far as like the week went, like it was a normal week for us. I think, you know, I did the Monday program and played with some great guys during that. And I felt like I was hitting it really well. And then I saw, I saw my short game coach that week and, you know, he was kind of, he, he's always been a big cheerleader of mine, not only just, you know, on the course, but off the course. And then also helps me with my short game. So he's kind of, it's, it's both, it's, it's him being a cheerleader, but it's also him helping me with, with my game. And so he was just giving me a lot of encouragement that week, telling me, cause it had been a while since I've seen him and just telling me how, how, not surprised, but how anxious he was to work with me this year because of how well my hands were working and how well I was hitting some of the shots that I didn't have in the past. Hmm. And so that was a little encouragement, you know, before the uh, tournament started. And honestly, like the first day I got off to a really slow start. I was three over through eight holes. I had to make like a pretty long putt on eight to just stay at three over. And it was one of those like times where it's like, okay, maybe I'm just rusty. Like I haven't played tournament golf since I had won in Nashville, like on October. So, you know, maybe Hawaii is just going to be like one of those get the rust off type weeks. Um, but you know, I turned, I turned that day into one under par, which, um, I felt like we took a lot of positives from that because I'm like at the point where I keep, you know, wanting to be that player, that consistent player. And I think a consistent player, keeps their bad rounds around par even better, like 100, yeah. 200. And so I felt like that was a moment where I didn't have my best stuff and I kept it under par on a, and so. And were you trying to next, do that consciously Grayson, or were you just like, yeah, I might, this might be a round of getting the rust off. I'm just going to keep hitting my spots and I'm just going to keep playing. And it turned into one under, or were you like, I need to get it back to even par or one under. I don't think I ever use the word like I need to do this. I think yeah. it puts too much pressure. I think it's like one of those I want to get to one under par and great if I do, you know, if I don't, then maybe I have to do a little something more special tomorrow to make the cut. Yeah. But I think I think I try to not phrase it as like I need to do something. And so I think I just was like one of those days where I really felt like, okay, this is, you know, the old Grayson might have given up a little bit here in this situation. And I'm going to prove to myself that I'm not. And, you know, I can turn this into a salvage, you know, manageable day and, you know, give myself a chance to make the cut tomorrow. So that's what I did. 
you know, the next day I, I played well and Saturday I played well. And then obviously I think going into Sunday, I was tied for the lead. And so, you know, a situation like that, like you had a little bit of media after Saturday because you're, you know, going into the final round tied for the lead and you get questions asked all, you know, what's, t- what's tomorrow going to look like? How are you going to feel? Obviously you're going to be nervous, but you know, what are you going to, what are your goals going to be and stuff like that. And I think like that was the first time that I like felt at peace with it all. And I was just like, you know what, this is an obligation. I'm going to have to just answer these questions, but it's a good thing. And I'm, it's something that I'm like not anxious about, right? Like I'm, I'm actually able to share my thoughts and feel like I'm at peace with my thoughts. So that's kind of what, how Saturday went, went down that afternoon. And I got really good rest on Saturday night and, you know, my fiance and I just, we kept it really simple. We didn't do much that night, just had like a normal dinner and went to bed. And then I woke up and I would feel like that would be the time to like really be nervous. Like you're, you're kind of having, you have a little, we actually had, we didn't really have that late of a tea time just because we're so far out there on the West that, you know, they yeah. wanted TV to finish at a certain time. So our tea time wasn't super late, but you do have a little more time to kind of think about how the day is going to go. And, you know, but it was, it was just a normal day. I got up and did my routine, saw my short game coach and, you know, he was one of those, if you heard the quote about me saying, you know, this isn't going to change my life and might change my career a little bit. That was, you know, him really telling me that and me believing it. And um, it was something that really stuck with me that day. I think I was just a, obviously like you want to win, right? Like if you're ever in a situation where you can win a golf tournament, there's not one person on tour that doesn't want to win, right. but it doesn't always happen. And um, I think that that, moment like in those times you just really have to like you got to give it your all without like caring too much i think sometimes mm-hmm. you can like care too much in those situations and honestly like lose your feel and lose your touch and um so it's a fine line of like caring too much and then also like really wanting it and so yeah i mean i had a you know jay who's my caddy is that was our first well it was our third time together but it was our first time in a while and we just had a really good game plan that day and it was, you know, it, it sounds boring and cliche, but we really stuck to it and we were really patient and I was playing against, you know, we're playing with one of the best players um, over the last few years and Keegan Bradley and we battled it out with him all day and uh, we got to the playoff where we felt like we could get it done and that's what happened. And, um, and that quote that I just shared, it, it still is true. Like I'm, it changed a little bit of my career, but like it didn't change my life. Nothing about that tournament changed my life. I'm still the same person. And, you know, that's what I'm going to keep doing going forward, even if I keep winning. Two time PGA Tour winner Grayson Murray aboard the train for episode 294. It dropped back on January 28th, and that is going to bring us to the end of our monthly recap. So, in case you missed any of that, episodes are linked below in the description. You can click on those and go back and listen anytime you like. And just a big thanks to everybody for coming aboard the train each and every week, hanging out with us. And if this is your first time, welcome. There are nearly 300 episodes before this one that you can go and check out. Odds are you'll find something that will help your game. And of course, later down the line, help you enjoy the ride. 
Like we said earlier, head over to thepartrain.com and get signed up for our weekly newsletter, and it will also get you in line for first access to merch drops. Some available now, some coming a little bit later, so be sure to head over there, thepartrain.com, and get signed up for that newsletter. And anywhere you find us on social media, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, our growing YouTube channel, go ahead and click the like, subscribe, follow button, whatever it may be, and stay up to date with the Partrain and everything they have for you. Those are updated daily, sometimes multiples per day. Have a great one, everybody. We'll see you back here mid-March to recap this unbelievable month that we're in right now. Of course, talking about February. And have a great one, everybody. Talk soon.